We're in John chapter 2. We have been in the New Testament for, what, three, four Sundays now? We're cranking on. And uh, after spending, I think it's six years in the Old Testament, we're back in the New Testament. In John chapter 1, we have seen John the Baptist declaring Jesus the Lamb of God. Jesus, God's sacrifice for the sin of mankind. Now, don't just glaze over that. We that have been Christians for a few years, sometimes we tend to just glaze over the good things of our Lord and just sort of take them for granted. But realize Jesus, the sacrifice for man's sin. We can become sort of dull in our spirit of the fact that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He is the sacrificial lamb. God gave us his son because we were what? We were born into sin. We didn't have a choice. We were born into sin. And I was reading an article uh, recently that talked about how to witness to millennialists. And they don't necessarily relate to old Christian vernacular. And they're not really mindful that they're sinful by nature. It's kind of a foreign concept to them that they're, they're, they're sinners in need of a Savior. Because our psychologists, our sociologists have taught that we are all good people. And the most we need is a little nudge towards being good. That person has never watched the evening news and see, and read and seen of the violence there. We are sinful by nature. David and his Psalms declares, we are not righteous. No, not one. Not one singular human being is righteous by nature. So, if you are a millennialist, let me assure you, you are sinful by nature and you need a Savior. You need Jesus, the Lamb of God. And that is sermon number one. Now we'll move into sermon number two. John the Baptist, he has proclaimed Jesus, who is God's atonement for our sin. Also in chapter one, we saw that Jesus is calling disciples to himself. Come, follow me. And now we begin chapter two of John. And we'll read that shortly, uh, the first part of it. And we find Jesus, and he's at a wedding feast there in Galilee. So let's look at John chapter 2, 1 through 12. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman... What does your concern have to do with me? 
My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stones, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This was the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and it manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. A Jewish wedding feast in Jesus' day was a week-long event. It was a week-long celebration. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, appears to be one of the close relatives with a duty of helping host this wedding. Notice that Jesus and his disciples are wedding guests. And along the way, in the first few days of this wedding celebration, they run out of wine. And Mary comes to Jesus with her dilemma. They have no wine. Mary has learned to depend on Jesus. He is the oldest son. Joseph, uh, we have no note of this, but he is no longer in the picture, and we assume that Joseph is dead. So Mary now looks to Jesus, her oldest son, And she says, Jesus, you've got to do something. Now, we wonder, is Mary seeking recognition of her son? Is she looking for perhaps uh, recognition for her own character? Her motives possibly could have been to put away the gossip about her own character, gossip that she has heard for 30 years about Jesus. It was common knowledge of the questionable birth of Jesus. The Pharisees said in John 8, talking to Jesus, we were not born of fornication, and they're insinuating that Jesus was born uh, by fornication. And Jesus answers his mother with woman. That's a term of respect, but it's not a term of closeness. It's not a dear term. I don't think Jesus necessarily wants to be the spectacle, the object of attention at this wedding. And his answer to Mary reveals this. 
And he says to her, my hour has not yet come. This term, my hour has not yet come, is referred to seven times in the book of John by Jesus himself. So we have to ask, what is Jesus's hour? In short, it's the crucifixion, it's his resurrection, and it's his, his ascension. Jesus's hour is when he declares on the cross, it is finished. His hour is complete then. When Jesus has completed the mission that God the Father sent him to the world to complete. And Jesus is telling Mary, my time is not quite yet, Mary, woman. And he says, I know you've been waiting patiently. He says, I know the hurt that you no doubt have experienced. I know your situation, Mary, but hold on. Hold on. Jesus will not relent to Mary's timetable for events. He calls her woman. And he says to her, my hour is not yet come. Now, Mary, being the good Jewish mother, blows right through Jesus' response to her and tells the servants, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. It's as if she didn't hear Jesus. Our Lord will often tell us, his impatient followers, hold on, not now. You ever been told to wait by the Lord? Yeah. I think all of us have. It's been said of our society, give me my desires and give them to me now. And if I have to use a credit card to get my desires now, I will use it. We are a society who stand in front of a microwave oven and cry out, hurry up. In fast food drive throughs a five-minute wait for your meal can seem like eternity. I like Chick-fil-A over on Highway 72, but I avoid it most of the time because the lines are all the way out to 72, and I don't want to wait in line for a chicken sandwich. But Mary, she knows her son. And she knows him well enough, and she tells the servants, do what Jesus tells you. Now, there is a large church, a large denomination that honors Mary as co-redeemer. But notice Mary is pointing what? She's pointing people, servants, to Jesus, not to herself. Notice Mary's last, and these are her last recorded words in Scripture, and her last words in Scripture are, do what Jesus tells you. That's good advice for any of us. Yet Mary is deified. She is quoted to be, hey, prayed to as the mother of God. But let me say this, there is one mediator 
between God and man, and it's not Mary. It is Jesus, the Son of God. For we hear Jesus give a a gentle rebuke to Mary. My hour, Mary, it has not yet come. Now let me paraphrase that just a little. So Mary, please don't try to vindicate yourself or me by your request and demands. Don't put me in that spot, Mary. So let us listen to Jesus' words as he speaks to his servants. And he tells them, fill the water pots. And they fill them to the brim. And he says, take some of this new wine to the master of ceremonies of this wedding. And when the master of the wedding had tasted the grape juice, no, no, it was not grape juice. It was fully fermented wine. Sorry, but it was. And the master of the ceremonies, he did not know where the wine came from. Only the servants know where this wine has come from. But hear what the master has to say. His words are noteworthy. He says, when the wedding guests have drank the first wine... The host then will offer the poor quality of wine later on. But you have kept the good wine until now. You've saved the good wine for the ending of the wedding feast. And this was a sign. It's the first miracle done by Jesus. And why is it done? It's done to make people happy. I think that's significant. He wanted to make a good party a great party. And it's done at a wedding. Jesus sanctioning weddings and making a wedding feast a a good occasion. So the people can enjoy the celebration. Who sees this miracle? The first sign that Jesus does. Well, Mary sees it. The disciples see it. But the servants at the wedding are the ones who see it. The servants have filled these six 20 to 30 gallon water pots. That's 120 to 180 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. And do the servants have questions of why Why do we fill these water pots? They probably did. Yet they obey Jesus. And they even take some of this water that is now wine, and they take it to the master of ceremonies, who declares, this is the good wine. Question, when did the water turn to wine? We don't know. These obedient servants had to be looking at one another. They're the ones that filled the water pots. And uh, did they sample taste this wine? I think they probably did. (laughs) Hey, we put water in there, and now it's wine, man. Uh, And this is the beginning of signs that declare who Jesus is. 
Mary knows who Jesus is by giving the instruction, do whatever Jesus tells you. The servants are the witness of this miracle. This miracle where Jesus has power over the natural elements, the disciples see this. And what, what effect does it have on the disciples? Well, we read, it causes them to believe. It causes them to believe who Jesus is. That's interesting. Now think back. Moses, when he was before Pharaoh and when he was pronouncing the plagues upon Egypt, he turned water into what? Blood in all of Egypt. Here you have the lawgiver and he changes water into blood in all of Egypt. And now you have Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. He goes to a wedding and he turns a disastrous affair of no wine into a joyous occasion, a celebration. And he created a lot of good wine. Jesus' first sign, his first miracle is one of bringing joy to people. He turns a wedding party that's a flop, a disaster, into a joyous occasion. But most of the wedding guests have no idea that this miracle has even occurred. Mary does. The servants do. Jesus' disciples, they see who Jesus is. And it says they now believe. They now believe. Before this miracle there in Cana at the wedding, the disciples, they're brand new to Jesus, they're looking at Jesus with hope. Maybe this is the Messiah. Perhaps this is the long-awaited one. They're hoping Jesus is Messiah. But now at this wedding, their hope is confirmed. They believe. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. This miracle of water into wine has had a believing effect upon the disciples and the servants. They believe. Let each of us allow this first miracle of Jesus kind of cause us to believe. May it have an effect upon us. Now, in our logical thinking ways, we rationalize many of the miracles of Jesus. I think it's just our natural instinct to do so. But as our scripture reading was, Jesus said to Thomas, after his resurrection, be believing. Thomas, quit being unbelieving. Believing or not believing is an act of your will, not proof. It's not proof. We don't need proof. 
It's an act of our will to be believing. And God uses and works within our own quote-unquote free will to cause us to be believing. Amen? Be believing. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, we look at this miracle of Jesus at the wedding feast. We see how it was a party gone bad because of no wine. And yet Jesus turns the water into wine and he makes it a celebration. He makes it a good time for all the wedding guests. He makes it a sign to the servants and his his disciples, rather, to be believers. And they see Jesus having authority and command over the very elements of this world. He turns water into wine, good wine. And Lord, we thank you for being a good God. We thank you that your ways are good. We thank you that you show us time and time again, the goodness of yourself. We thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, may our response be like the disciples. May it just cause us to believe. Down deep within us, may we believe that you are the Son of God. You are our Savior. You are our Lord and God worthy of us to believe. So we thank you for that. Do that good work in our hearts and lives, Lord. Cause us to be true believers. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.